You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're also joined by noted author and Bible teacher, Jen Wilkin. Let me just say, I think Jen is, without qualification, one of the best Bible teachers operating period, end of sentence. She is an incredible teacher of God's Word. She's also an incredible writer and author. If you've been following along for years at her blog, then you know this. She is just shrewd and adept and wise on so many topics. She has three books. We talk about one of them. She has Women of the Word, None Like Him, and In His Image. They are all exceptional. You should check all of them out. You should read Jen. You should listen to Jen on everything that she speaks about. We're so grateful to get to work with her. So grateful to get to talk to her about her newest book, In His image. Uh, We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, okay, so today uh, JT and I are joined by noted author and global Bible teacher, (laughs) Jen Wilkie. Cosmic, is Cosmic too big work? I'm sure. Just for all of our listeners, be warned. They have been so looking forward to how many directions they can take this. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, Yeah, so I'm sitting here. I have a book in front of me. Jen, you write books. I do. How many books have you written and what are they all about? I have written three books. Uh, The first one that I wrote is called Women of the Word, and it was a plea to women in particular, but I would say also applicable to the church in general, to recapture a um, vision for Bible literacy among the people of God. So it described a method for getting us there, but also gave an apologetic for why it matters. And then one of the things that I talked about in Women of the Word and that I talk about in, in, our, in our classes all the time is the importance of reading the Bible as a book about God. And it's a really basic idea that everyone would give assent to. But then in my experience teaching and, and writing curriculum, though we would assent to it, we actually tend to have a pretty atrophied vocabulary around the things that are true about God. And so it's hard for many of us to read the Bible looking for his attributes because we're just not, we haven't spent that much time meditating on them. So I wrote None Like Him to talk through the incommunicable attributes, the things that are only true about God. And then in his image is a follow-up. The third book is a follow-up where we go through the communicable attributes. Okay. And the communicable attributes, we're going to find out a little bit more about in this podcast. If we don't, I've done a terrible job responding <laughs> to your questions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, maybe just a, a real quick pause. Um, so y- you were teaching the Bible regularly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And had been doing that for years. Mm-hmm. And you decided you wanted to write? No, I did not decide I wanted to write. Like when people will email me and say, how do I do what you do? I'm like, I have no idea. I was, I had started blogging. Um, when I was, I was teaching really at that time in my living room and I was blogging extra content that I didn't have time to get to. I had read a, actually a John Piper post on why he enjoyed blogging. And he talked about how it was a place for him to gather what he didn't have time to fully explore in a sermon or in a teaching time and, or time for him to just explore an additional idea. And I finally, that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, it's a teaching venue. Okay. I can get behind that. And so just for the women who were coming, I needed a place to be able to sort of extend lessons and think things out. And then I also at the that point was getting a lot of questions about parenting Mm because we were at the village and we were 
you know, I think I was in my early 40s at that time, so just ancient here at the village. So I needed a place to... Then, not so much anymore. To Rather than have, you know, 15 of the same conversations to mm-hmm. be able to aggregate stuff and go, hey, go read this thing that I wrote. So I was blogging and I didn't even know how to check the stats. I didn't know if anybody was reading it or not. And they were. They, they were. were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I got a call from a publisher asking me if I had a book I wanted to write. Mm. And so I don't have a normative. Did, did you? I did. I had to scramble on the phone to come up with a with a book pitch. And mm. so that's why I wrote on the things that I'd talked about the most and cared about the most because they were the easiest. That's awesome. The things I wanted to, you know, codify, I guess. JT, how many books have you written? Uh do dissertations count? Yeah, they do. We're going to count it. <laughs> okay, one. Okay, awesome. How and many books have you written, Kyle? Some, some of your emails <laughs> are book-like. No, that's not true. You're published. Uh, yeah. What's Just, your book? No, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, I would love to talk no, about not that. not the topic of this podcast, topic oh, of a future shoot. podcast. Um, I'm, Let's get that on the record. I'm moving, <laughs> of a future podcast. <laughs> I'm moving the discussion forward. Um, okay, so the book that you just released is entitled In His Image. Yes. What's the elevator pitch for the book? Uh, that... We are consumed in Christian subculture with asking the question of what is God's will for my life? And that when we ask that question, most commonly what we mean is tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. But that in fact, the the better question to ask is tell me who to be. And that is a question that the Bible spends pages addressing, you mm-hmm. could argue, that every page has something on it to, that speaks to that. So when you talk about the things that are true about God that can also be true about us, what you're basically saying is, what does perfect humanity look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, in other words, how does a, a limited human display the character of an, a limitless God? And when you want to ask the question of what does perfect humanity look like and, and understanding that as God's will for our life, then it becomes clear fairly quickly, I hope, that it means that the will for God, it means that God's will for your life is that you would become like Christ. Hmm. I found that so helpful. I've been in conversations with you, like ministry conversations, pastoral conversations, just uh, hearing you kind of tease that out in pastoral situations. It's so helpful for people because life can feel complex and messy and challenging and there can be lots of options in front of us or sometimes no options in front of us and it can feel like life has turned into a dead end whatever it might be and to be reminded that the question of becoming is more important than the question of doing that God's will by the power of his spirit is to conform us to the image of Christ just gives such a and that's not esoteric it's not like distant it is very it's intensely practical yes absolutely yeah and I mean that you know one of the things that pushed, pushed my thinking on this early on I didn't write about this in the book, so this is like bonus content at this point. But when we were in Houston, (laughs) (laughs) when we were in Houston, we lived um, very close to a minimum security prison. And so you would be driving just to run your daily errands and you would see these prisoners out working in the fields and, and a guy on a horse with a shotgun making sure nobody ran off. And Wait, I, are you for real? Yeah, yeah. It was very much like that. And it was great, like, object lesson for the kids. You know, okay. you're like, hey, look over there. How do you feel about that? Golly. Obey the law. But so um, one of the things that was thought-provoking about that was... It's one thing for me to consider what God's will for my life is in terms of options, Mm -hmm. like choices and decisions. But you look at someone like that, 
they don't have options and choices and decisions. All of that's been taken off the table for them, at least in the near term. And so how does that person or just a person who is in abject poverty, who lacks power on every measure, Mm -hmm. uh, how, how does the will of God apply to that person's life? Because if it's about doing and choices, then, then it's an empty message for them. But if it's about becoming then the will of God is beautifully applicable to any situation and any person. Yeah, I think that's so freeing for people um, because uh, at least, so I, you know, I served for a number of years and still attended worship at the Dallas campus mm-hmm. and our demographic is far younger. So one of the most common questions that I got as a minister and pastor there is, hey, how am I supposed to know what God wants to do with my life? Right. Like it was just, right. I mean, there wasn't a day that went by where I didn't get that email or have that coffee. And um, one of the things that I feel like is so uh, oppressive mm-hmm. for individuals in particular is this preoccupation with there is this like specific thing that God wants me to do. Right. And I've got to figure out that. Right. And so like, how do I read the tea leaves to figure out what that thing is? Because until I do this thing or am doing this thing, mm-hmm. I cannot be who God wants me to be. Right. Which therefore you can feel like you're outside of God's will. Oh, yeah, which is, which is language that yeah, has existed absolutely. in Christian subculture. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I had classes in a seminary that taught me about how to talk to people <laughs> yeah. about finding the specific will yeah. that God had for their life. And it's not that God doesn't call us to do things. I mean, we would all right. say that God is calling the believer to live a life of action and going, but that the first thing that the Bible is calling us to do is to be a kind of person. And it is giving us far more direction on who we are to be than yes. what we are to do, That's right. knowing that if we shape the person, it will be the overflow of their life, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the categories that you're working with in um, None Like Him and In His Image, you've mentioned one of them, Mm -hmm. Incommunicable Attributes, which is None Like Him's focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then In His Image, Communicable Attributes. Um, You defined Incommunicable Attributes as? Things that can only be true of God. Which would be things like? Yeah, give us some examples. Um, So only God is, they're all related to limitlessness, right? So only God is limitless in power. Only God, that's his omnipotence. Only God is not limited to, uh, by place. So he doesn't have, he's got a spirit. So that is God's omnipresence. Mm. Um, Only God is not limited in his knowledge. He holds all knowledge and he holds it all perfectly. And he didn't learn any of it. So all of these things that are only true, will never be true about us, um, can only be true about him. And then interestingly, what came out as I was putting that book together was this idea that we do actually want those things and that that's the form that much of our idolatry takes mm-hmm, is yeah, saying, no, I actually do want omniscience and I have a smartphone, so I'm probably probably going to get it. Yeah. Or I can at least mimic it and give myself a sense of it. Um, we have all these ways that we like to mimic omnipresence. Like right now, my daughter is in Spain for the summer and I want to be in Spain and I want to be in Texas and I can't be mm-hmm. in two places at one time, but I have ways that I can give myself a sense that I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, many of these through technology, which is not to hate on technology uh, because both of the examples I just gave relate to that, but it's to point to the reason that we're so addicted to it often, right? Because we we want to see our, we're like Eve, we're like Eve in the garden grasping for that fruit that's not intended for us. 
Isn't it interesting that we grasp for the uh, incommunicable attributes, but it's so hard to grasp for the communicable? Which well, that's is what we're yeah, yeah. About. That's the whole thing. Is like n- nobody wakes up in the morning plotting how to have limitless love for others, <laughs> right? But everybody wakes up in the morning plotting how to have limitless control Absolutely. over everything in their lives. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really the, the irony of our hearts. Yeah, and kind of the, the darkness of our hearts is yeah. that we seek what we shouldn't, and we don't seek that which we should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to press pause on that, because then I want us to come to communicable attributes and define and give some examples. But this is. Just just a, a plug. If you've not read None Like Him, you have to read that book. It is, um, I feel like in my training, we traditionally in seminaries, you get a lot of teaching on the incommunicable attributes of God. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was pretty aware of the literature that was out there. It is uniquely different. Yes. Um, and so even if you're somebody who feels like, yeah, I've done some study in that. If you've not read that book, you should read that book. If you've done no study in it, it's an incredible primer for it. It's so fantastic. it's a great finisher. It's a great primer. It's one of, that's just your voice too. Is like you make simple or you make really hard things really simple to introduce to somebody, but you also like help like I know for JT and I, there are times where I'm like, I'm talking with you and you're able to sum up an idea. I spent a whole semester <laughs> studying in two sentences and it's better. Yeah. So it's like, it's, you're a very frustrating person to be around. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thanks, uh, guys. Uh, but anyways, you should read, you buy that book, read that book. Well, Women of the Word too. I mean, oh, it's, well, just yeah, a, it's a basic hermeneutics book yeah. that I realized that you had a specific audience given some challenges in the church and given some, yeah. some things that you wanted to say. Yeah. But it's a book that is, is fruitful for any Christian. Yeah, you really could just in. put a little piece of tape over the woe yeah. if you're a man. And some and, of the And these men of the words, perfect. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so incommunicable attributes, none like him. In his image, communicable attributes. So yeah. what, So what? just again, just so that we hear it, what's your definition of communicable attributes and what are some examples? Things that are true about God that can also be true of us. So um, for example, everybody would tell you straight up that God is a God of love, right? That's one of our favorites of his attributes. It's mm-hmm. one that we probably spend uh, almost an idolatrous amount of time talking about. Uh, but have we considered how the love of God is a pattern for us and how we see the love of God manifested in Christ and and his example. And so we have a sense of what it means to be loving, but often our, our sense of what it means to be loving is shaped more by culture or by our existing uh, primary relationships than it is by any higher vision for love. So when we turn to the scriptures and ask, what does the love of God look like? It should inform the way that we love our neighbor. One of the things you talk about at the beginning of the book, and I think it's in the introduction, is uh, the example you use as, as a vase that yeah. has has uh, is something that was meaningful to you and to your family mm-hmm. that was broken, mm-hmm. and you relate that to the human experience. Talk a little bit about that because I think some people would struggle saying, oh, "Wait, I can I'm I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm right. I'm far. Like, I've I've been taught almost this oh, this over torqued idea of depravity or sinfulness and our fallenness. How could I be like God? And isn't He the Creator and, and me the creature? Yeah, well, I think this is that whole, um, we get bogged down in Genesis chapter three and we're like, well, this is all we've got. And you actually were a huge help to me when I sat down to write the book because I was like, oh no, this is a book on image bearing and I feel way out of my depth. (laughs) And so I go running into your office and I'm like, help me, help me. What is it? What is it not? And, uh, and, and it put me in mind of that that vase that, uh, gosh, I loved it so much. I almost didn't want to write the story in the book because <laughs> the child who broke it knows who they are, but it's cool. And, uh, and it, it got smashed and I glued it back together because I just 
I didn't want to part with it. I still loved it. And it's, it was form and function, uh, and I enjoyed it so much uh, when it was not broken. And, and so pieced it back together so that if you see it sitting on the shelf, it looks like it's fine, but it can't hold water anymore. Uh, if I put flowers in it, they, they would just you know lose all moisture and die. But I didn't want to turn it loose. And we are made in the image of God. We bear, and it, you know, this this vase has a mark on the bottom that says who the maker is. And so that that's us. We reflect to a limited extent an unlimited God and the fall does uh, smash us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then sanctification, you know, the gospel is not just the hope that we find in justification. Um, it is the hope that we find that we are actually being renewed in the image of our maker uh, over a process of a lifetime. Mm. So we don't have uh, probably a good analogy for this in, uh, in the physical world, but that the, the, the cracks and the fissures that were the result of the fall in mm-hmm. us, that the, the Holy Spirit is able to restore wholeness to us yeah. and holiness to us over the process of a lifetime. The, the thing that I love about that example is it reminds us that anthropology begins in Genesis 1, yes, not Genesis, not Genesis 3. 3. So often yeah. we start with our picture of humanity yeah. broken and fallen, not what we were once created to be and what we will once be even more glorified right. in the future. Right. And so beginning with this picture of a vase that is loved and cared for and cherished is a reminder that as humans, that is exactly how we're thought of by God, that we yep. are made in his image and will be remade in his image. I think that's great. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. So in your first um, chapter, you talk about God has called us to be holy. And uh, I think it's the first chapter, right? Yeah. Yeah, chapter one. So you don't have the whole book committed to memory, I don't. Kyle? I feel like you usually do that. No, no, I'm still <laughs> I'm still processing it. Um, so, uh, but so you talk about God calling us to be holy. And holiness, and you make mention of this in the chapter. And I want, so I want to give a little bit of time to talk about this. Holy, 
is holiness unique among the communicable attributes of God in some way? Well, there's a lot of discussion around that. Okay. And uh, I'm a devotee of R.C. Sproul, unabashed. Well, well the book is yeah, dedicated uh, to R.C. Heck Sproul. yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if I have any capacity. <laughs> wait, 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 pause. <laughs> Do you, do, you, do you think that you are on par with R.C.? Oh, no, not even close. I just thought I was friends with Jen. Oh, wait, you thought... No, but listen, honestly, you guys are my new resident stop, theologians. Stop, stop, stop. No, honestly, listen, back in the day, I mean, R.C. Sproul's ministry came to my bedside table on cassette tapes when, when I had of, no hope of yes. seminary training or anything. And so if I have any capacity to say things at a level that is understandable by you know, anyone. It's because I learned it from his example. I, I mean, my story is a little bit different, but the first theology CD, it was a C on a CD I ever listened to before mm-hmm. when a seminary was RC. I mean, his mm-hmm. impact on the church is virtually unmatched. Yep. Well, and you know what? The first thing I ever heard from him was his, his study on the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and in fact, uh, after I had written the book, I went back and started reading back through some of that. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have plagiarized this man at every turn throughout my entire career uh, teaching the Bible because I just, uh, looking back over it, hadn't realized just how indelibly it had marked my thinking about mm. the doctrine of God. And so uh, to say that holiness has a, a special place among the attributes is really to echo his teaching. Yeah. Uh, and he points to the 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 triple mention of the holiness of God, which you don't see. In Isaiah 6. Uh, yeah, that you don't see elsewhere in, in the scripture with yeah. any other attribute. Um, and I, I remembered that from when I had done the study, but then going back and looking through the mentions in Leviticus, the, the, the admonitions to be holy for God is holy that yeah. you just see repeated. I think it's five times in Leviticus. And, and then it comes back in first comes Peter. Back, well, it comes back. And Jesus says in the yeah. Sermon on the Mount, be perfect for I'm perfect, which is, it's the same idea, right? Uh, and it, it just seems that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are telling us that this is important and that uh, not only is it uniquely true of God, but it is to be specifically true of his people. Yeah, so... So let me play devil's advocate here for a mm-hmm. second. Um, uh, so I'm reading scripture. Right. And I see that God is uniquely holy. Mm-hmm. He's holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. And I get to, and maybe I gloss over the Leviticus admonitions because I'm like, it's Leviticus and there's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. But then I show, <laughs> then I show up in the gospels and Jesus says, be perfect for I'm perfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but yeah, you know, Jesus sometimes, you know. He was hyperbolic, right? I mean, maybe he was overstressed. Maybe he was yes, communicating I have the extreme. Heard that and then, for, and then, in, and then I get to First Peter, and Peter's like, "Hey, you've heard it said, it's true. You should be holy." Yeah. And then Hebrews says, "Strive for peace with everyone, and yeah. for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord." Yeah, you can't get. And away I'm going from like, it. okay, hold on a second here. Um, if God is holy, 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 and I'm called to be holy like God is holy. Um, is that is is it calling me to something impossible? Sure, surely the the way that this gets teed up often, the way I want to tee it up mm-hmm. for you, is the the calls uh, to holiness in Scripture are really just to demonstrate our great dependence. That like we could not possibly be holy, and so ipso right. facto we need to just kind of fall into grace. Mm-hmm. But there's really no impact to the mm-hmm. call to be holy. So what does it mean that God calls us to be holy, to follow Him, to be like Him in this mm-hmm. capacity, yeah. being uniquely holy? Right. That's a good I, question. Yeah. I mean, I think this points to what I I find to be a fairly pervasive misunderstanding of the nature of salvation, and that is that um, we default to we believe the God. Gospel is justification, right. full stop. Uh, I believe the good news 
is bigger than that. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. It's good news that we've been freed from sin's penalty and our justification. It is good news that we are being increasingly freed from sin's power during our sanctification, which sanctification is a word that means becoming holy, Mm -hmm. right? Becoming set apart. And it is good news. It is such good news that one day we will be free from the presence of sin Mm. when we're glorified. Um, This issue of bearing uh, the image of God, this issue of being conformed to the image of Christ is dealing with sanctification. And it is saying that, yes, you have positional holiness in your justification. You are positionally holy before God. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ that can never be removed from you. And therefore, since penalty is not coming your way. But then there is a a second issue, a a follow-up issue of practical holiness. Mm -hmm. And that's sanctification. We are not merely saved from depravity. We are saved to holiness, and it is our joyful duty to to seek to um, obey God's good law, which I talk about some in the book, um, for as many years as he gives us to walk this earth. And it's not to earn. It's never about right. earning once you have justification. It's always about pleasing the Lord because you're so grateful yeah. for positional holiness. That's really good. You know, I was really struck by your chapter on God most patient. Because the patience. Of I God. hated that chapter. I oh, didn't want to write it. Really? Why? Because I'm not very patient. Well, neither am I. And JT and I, JT turned me onto a book he's been reading, and it was really cool because sometimes when you're reading, you know, a few books, you kind of do like this interreading thing yeah. where you start kind of tying some connections together. And this book, uh, patient, patient Ferment of the Early Church. Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And just mm-hmm. like, what's the, real quick. Yeah, so 30 second overview would be the idea that the, the early church, it's asking the question, why did the early church grow as quickly as it did? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that the early church was not so interested in like a proclamation of the gospel because yeah. they believed the Great Commission was already completed. Mm-hmm. Even Paul says the gospel's gone to the nations. To the earth, it's gone yeah. to the ends of the earth. Uh, uh, Pentecost was an idea that all the nations were gathered together and they took it back to their nations. So what should the church do in light of this and almost every prominent church father wrote about patience because god is patient and so the christian community should reflect the patience of god as we Mm -hmm. wait for the renewal of all things and i loved reading that in uh uh, with your chapter because that that idea of patience is really tied to i i think or i saw a lot of tie into presence Mm -hmm. and patience and presence in this kind of culture that we live in oh my gosh um patience and presence are are a way of being a contrast people again. That's right. Like we, for a while, just because of the speed and the times, maybe it's always felt fast, but it just feels particularly charged right Mm now. And because of that, patience and presence are surprising to people. Mm -hmm. And the patience of God is really surprising to people. And what I wanted to ask you, and just so everybody knows, this wasn't like in the show notes. I'm now going (laughs) off script. So we're just acknowledging that this is... Which never goes wrong. (laughs) When you think about patience in particular, um, what are some of the ways that you feel like patience and power relate to one another? Can you maybe tease that out a little bit in terms of thinking through the way that God is patient with his people and the way that we as Christians should be patient with one another. Well, yeah, patient with one another and, and, uh, and patient with the Lord because our human perspective is that we should have what we want when we want it. Yeah. And we are not on the same time frame that God is often. And so if we are impatient in his dealings with us, we will most certainly be impatient in our dealings with our neighbor. That's how the great commandment works, right? right. You have that vertical that points to how the horizontal is going to yeah. function. 
for a long time as a parent, and um, I mean, this is a big challenge that you guys have as as fathers of young children, um, raising children in an instant gratification society mm. in a Christian home right. is to do battle with um, short attention spans, with uh, insatiability with regard to ownership of uh, goods and services. Mm. Um, if you think about how many parenting strategies are designed around mitigating wait times, right? right? Like, what do we want to do? We don't want to have a bored child. And so we hand them a screen or we, um, there's always some way to entertain versus train. Right. And when we raise the next generation to be incapable of waiting, uh, we have, in my opinion, little hope of, of inviting them into a faith that is wholly predicated on delayed gratification. Hmm. Like we are the people of God waiting on the return, visible return of a savior. We are waiting on holiness to be worked out in us. And so I look at that with regard to parenting and I feel really smart about all that. And then all of a sudden I realize that it's, it's me that needs to learn that lesson. Hmm. Um, I can, I can talk a good game to my kids, but if I am not living the life of delayed gratification in the way that I relate to um, things that I purchase and in the way that I relate to, um, um, uh, even even um, wanting resolution of something that's stressful in my life. If if I can't wait on the Lord, then then I have missed the message uh, of what it means to be a follower oh, of Christ. That's so good. Yeah, um, that's so rich. Because I just feel like there are so um, you really your belief in God's sovereignty and incommunicable yeah. attribute is really. V- Linked. verified yeah. or the, the fruit that it should produce is patience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, rhythms in your life that demonstrate patience. Yeah, demonstrate patience. Sabbath or yeah. fasting. Yeah. I mean, there's so yeah, much. Yeah, Sabbath is an act of, of steadfastness mm-hmm. on our part. Yeah. I mean, it's an act of steadfastness on God's part, certainly, but mm-hmm. also a reciprocal one on our part. So what's your one hope for readers of the book, just to kind of put a bow on this? Like, you feel like if somebody read this book, I would hope that X. That they never again ask, what's God's will for my life? Mm. Okay. His will is plainly written in scripture. It is plainly written, be holy for I am holy and all of the things that are implied there. Um, and, and that they would be free from the tyranny of worrying that a wrong decision is a, is a deal breaker. Um, when it comes to decisions, sometimes there's not a clear good choice. And so you just make the choice and Mm. ask the Lord to sanctify you no matter the outcome. So instead of trusting in outcomes, we learn to trust in the God of all outcomes, Mm. uh, which is a whole different equation. But that um, God's will for your life is that you would become like Christ Mm -hmm. because it doesn't do you any good to make the right decision if you're still the wrong person. Mm. Wow. Uh, and okay. so to be, <laughs> to, to, to be conformed to the image of Christ is to, uh, you may still make wrong decisions, but to be grounded in his character on the other side of it means that the Lord is going to use that to, to conform you even further. Mm-hmm. Jen, thank you. It takes time and effort and energy and sacrifice to write, well, to do anything, but particularly to write books. Thank you for writing books. Please keep writing books. Yeah, it's 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 really a joy for Kyle and I think this community to to watch you labor through this and uh-huh. to kind of see the product. Thanks. I mean, we've we've been, we've been in office meetings and had uh-huh. conversations kind of through the process of this book. So to see it therapy sessions uh, is and, really what yeah, we need to we, call did, it. we did do those too. Um, <laughs> Talking me off the ledge. Your voice is meaningful, and we're grateful oh, for thanks, it. Guys. And, and I think Kyle might ask this question 
uh, but we're eager to see what, what might be next. Do you have any ideas about? Oh, I feel like if early? I speak You're it like- aloud, <laughs> it gives it power. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get up the nerve to write something on parenting. It's so tough to to think that you would write something on that because, I mean, I'm not, you know, Jeff and I are not perfect parents and our kids are not perfect kids. And uh, But I do have some pretty strong feelings about a few things. I think you just saw a little of that sneak out in, in what I just said. And so I, if I could... If I could write something that was about principles of parenting and have it be received that way rather than have it be received as you must do this one thing this way. Become a certain kind of parent. Okay, there it is. You like that? Yeah. Well, you know what? (laughs) I'm sure that you'll get no feedback on that book because people have no No opinions opinions about parenting and are not insecure about it at all. It's so safe. It's such a safe topic to write on. You got this. Um, (laughs) For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be chatting with scholar Dr. Michael Kruger on the canon of Scripture, asking the question, can we trust the Bible? See you next time. Grace and peace.